1: Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I'm Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. Happy Veterans Day tomorrow, Reed. Happy Veterans Day, Colin. Yeah. So we are going to hold off on the rebroadcast of the series on commander responsibilities that we had promised to everybody. And I want to be completely transparent and upfront about why that is as we have discussed in the episodes over the last couple of months commanders are very busy right indeed they are yes and we you know came right up front with that in trying to align our schedules for recording these interviews with the right people and it just could not happen in time for it to get out today so we're going to pause releasing that series until everything is Perfectly ready for you. We want to make sure that we are delivering the highest quality content, do those commanders justice, give the AFI and give all commanders the attention that they deserve as we explore what it is that commanders are actually responsible for and what they deal with on the day to day. So thank you for your patience, audience. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for waiting for that series to come out. We will get it released to you as soon as we possibly can. Right, Reed? Absolutely. Yep. Getting in touch with commanders can be
0: challenging. Aligning calendars is even more so. We just want to make sure we do
1: it right. So apologies, but we'll get it there. So we didn't want to just like put out a mea culpa and say, "Uh, we're just not going to do an episode today. And so here we are recording on Tuesday, November 9th. It is almost... It's almost twenty hundred mountain, which is almost twenty two hundred eastern for you. Read it's late in the night, and but we're gonna get an episode out there for November the tenth anyway, right? Absolutely, you
0: know, because we have been doing some stuff. So, Colin and I know we'll talk about this a little bit later. But one of the reasons we went to an every other week format is to try and give ourselves some space so we Mm -hmm. can develop in ways that we know are important. And I think this is a perfect example of how that's been happening for us. And I'm looking forward to discussing that with our audience.
1: Yeah, so for today's episode, we are going to talk about how we have been using some of that time, which most specifically for today's episode is the things that we have been reading, the content that we have been consuming uh, for our own professional development. And we have made no small deal out of professional reading on this podcast. We even put out an episode all the way back in May of 2020 about the importance of professional reading. And I actually think that it's important that we revisit some of the concepts that we talked about in that episode. Reid, why don't you give us a quick rundown of some of the tips and tricks that we shared at that time, just so that our audience is prepared for the comments that come later? Yeah,
0: Sure. So some things that we reviewed in that episode, Colin, when we talked about and really introduced the idea of professional reading is that it's neglected, especially in our commissioning programs. I mean, OTS, we don't have hardly enough time to, you know, bathe every day. I I say that kind (laughs) of facetiously, but it's a very busy schedule. So the idea of assigning assigning a book to read, when, when are they going to read it? Anyway, so it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy. And so it's often neglected, especially in our commissioning sources. It's addressed more in PME, especially the in residence programs for ACSC and Air War College, but it's not at SOS. Right. You know, articles, but not books. Right. So it takes time, it takes energy, and it's hard to do well. But we think it's so important that we recommend it to everybody. Very regular question that we get across the board from our audience and from even lieutenants and captains that I'm mentoring at my unit. You know, hey, what are you reading? It's a pretty common topic of discussion.
1: Yeah. I just had one come up to me this weekend. While I was at my reserve unit, one of the tech sergeants that I supervise came up to me and he's like, can you give me some book recommendations? I want a commission. I want to become an officer. So tell me, what is it that you're reading? What should I be reading to prepare myself? Yeah, exactly. It comes up all the time. Mm -hmm. And so when we created our episode, I really wanted
0: to focus on what I think are some barriers to people reading. Yeah. And this comes from, A lifetime of being named read and getting a whole bunch of, you know, (laughs) terrible jokes about that, but also trying to teach my children to read and interacting with other adults in both educational settings as well as professional settings and learning from them what are the barriers to reading. So the first trick and tip that I want to offer to the audience, and just a quick review, start wherever you are. Don't measure yourselves against the Jim Mattises of the world, right. you know, who have these massive libraries and can quote from Thucydides, you know, at any moment, don't measure yourself against, you know, that one second cousin twice removed who reads 900 books a year, whatever, <laughs> wherever you are, start from there. Get
1: better from your exact point and start now, no time like the present. And to that point, please don't measure yourself against us in this episode right now. Cause we're going to talk about some of the books that we've been reading. Please don't. Say, oh, man, I should have been reading that one instead of this other thing. Yeah. Or, wow, how are you guys getting through all of these books? No, just knock that thought out of your mind. Start where you are. Exactly. And the
0: next tip is find something you are certain you'll enjoy. I don't want to put any pressure on people that they have to be reading, you know, the latest New York Times a bestseller from someone on the National Security Council or whatever, right? Right. Say you don't really enjoy politics. You don't want to be reading about who, whatever somebody said at the White House. If that's not your thing, then don't feel pressure to read it. Find something that you are certain you are interested in. Maybe it's a book that you've read in the past that you knew you enjoyed. Maybe it's an author that you have an affinity toward or a subject matter that you're really interested in. Whatever it is, start with something that you're certain you're going to enjoy. Yeah. The next one, and this is a big one for me because I think we all have this guilt. If you don't like the book, if you're not getting out of it what you'd hope to, if you're not enjoying it, stop. (laughs) I love this Stop (laughs) reading the book. It's sunk cost fallacy is what we're talking about here. Right. So this is a fallacy that we have as people. And we're like, well, I've already read this much. I might as well finish it. No, stop wasting your time. Yep. If it's not doing what you need it to do for you, stop it. Just put it down. Just stop. You're going to waste hours and hours and get nothing out of it. So just stop. Yep. Okay. Two more tips and tricks. The content and format are a whole lot less important than the idea of actually reading. What are we talking about here, Colin? We're talking about... A fiction book versus a nonfiction book. We're talking about uh, maybe an audio book, right? Or an ebook. That's something that I found for me when I started traveling with work, I stopped reading because I didn't want to take three or four books on the plane. Right. You know, I hate shoving my feet into this small little aircraft and, you know, my backpack and all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, this isn't working for me. So I got a Kindle. It's a tiny little thing. Now I can read books all the time and it's great. Yep. The content and format are a whole lot less important than the idea that you're pursuing knowledge. And that's the most important part.
1: Yeah. You're gonna get something out of whatever you read and however you consume it. There will be something for you. So don't get hung up on, like you said, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, self-help versus, you know, a just an easy read. It doesn't matter. Is it a podcast? Is it an ebook? Again, it just does not matter. You filling your mind with something to think about is what matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I talked about this
0: in the episode previously, but my spouse really doesn't like sitting still and reading. She feels guilty that she's not doing something. So audiobooks are her go-to. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to listen to books in the car, great. Zero judgment. If you like the feel of the pages and you like the bookmarks and you like to have them on a bookshelf, cool. Whatever works for you. Yep. So that's tip number four. The last part, number five, make it part of routine. You know, whether it's for 30 minutes before you go to bed every night or, you know, on the way to work every morning, you know, if you make it part of a routine, you're gonna be more likely to make it a consistent something that you do regularly. So those are my five top tips and tricks
1: on helping you overcome some of those common barriers that I've encountered when it comes to becoming a reader. Awesome. Thanks, Reed. That is super helpful, and I'm confident that it has been and will continue to be helpful to our audience. So let's transition here from the tips and tricks now to the real meat and potatoes of this episode. The reason that we are here today, which is to show that we actually walk the talk. We do what we say we want the rest of you to do, which is to read professionally. So, Reed, we're going to let you take the first crack at this. Tell us what you're reading what you're learning from it, how you're applying it. Give us an idea of how you have been pursuing knowledge through the act of professional reading. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I've got
0: three books that I'm going to cover today, two a little bit more in depth, and then the last one is my guilty pleasure, my fun fiction that I do just because I like to mix it up. So sure. part of my routine, I will read one for professional development, for knowledge, You know, usually nonfiction, something that I will probably be more beneficial professionally but then I read the fantasies, the science fictions, you know, the things that I really enjoy doing more for relaxation. Sure. So the first two are books that I read recommended to me by a guy that I work with. And the first was Rogue Heroes, The History of the SAS, Britain's Secret Special Forces Unit that Sabotaged the Nazis and Changed the Nature of War. SAS—that yes, that is the Special Air Service. That's correct. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Written by Ben McIntyre. This was a really fascinating book. So it's a history of how the SAS came to be, and more importantly, how the SAS redefined how we fight. And if you think about the history of warfare, this was a, definitely a key pivotal moment in modern warfare. So prior to—well, I mean, you know, even up in, to include World War I, it was very much, okay— bad guys over there, good guys over here. These are our uniforms. Those are your uniforms. This is the line where we begin to shoot each other. Right? Okay, everybody ready, set, go. Okay, begin.
1: Right? Like this very regimented thing. Almost like a Civil War, Revolutionary War kind of thing.
0: Yeah, well, that's because that's where it evolved from, right? And so mechanization and industrialization made World War One so devastating because— You could shoot people from farther away. Yeah. And you could shoot more regularly and you didn't have to see them necessarily. And you had artillery and then you had aerial bombardment and you had balloons and you had all this stuff that was like messing up with the regular way people fought wars. The chivalrous way, the gentleman's war. Yeah, exactly. Well, that baggage still happened to linger in the early days of World War II. And that's what the SAS did. So this was all the brainchild of. David Sterling, who's a British officer who had this idea for the SAS. And basically his idea was, you know, if I had a small group of people and we could parachute in behind enemy lines and I gave them some special equipment, we could wreak havoc on the enemy and then get out before they even knew we were there. Right? And we're talking like teams of two or three, like really small teams. And most of his superiors are like, No, that's not how you fight war. That's what like saboteurs do. That's like what heathens do. That's not what British soldiers do. Right. And so what did he do? He basically stole equipment and just made it happen himself. And, you know, the fascinating part, they really truly revolutionized the way we fight wars. And so he and his small unit that he created in the deserts of North Africa and then on into Italy and then into mainland Europe, we're having an outsized impact on the adversary. And fascinating book, really interesting history. And if you draw conclusions, you can pull the thread from where the SAS started all the way to the Bin Laden raid in Pakistan, for example. Right. That doesn't happen without David Sterling and his idea and putting that into place. The whole idea of sending in a small team into enemy territory to do something, you know, have an outsized impact just wouldn't exist. Right. And I really loved it. Really good history. It was unflinching in its review. So sometimes some of these books tend to like glorify the subject, right? They can do no wrong. And it definitely didn't do that. I liked that it showed all of the bristle and the hair and the ugly things about what they did. You know, people died in draining, lots of them. Some of the first operations they held were fantastic failures. Yeah, Just very, very interesting, and I really enjoyed it. And we'll get to why, you know, some of the take-homes when I talk about the next book, because I think they're very related. The two kind of were around a similar topic for me. So the next one was Lucky 666, The Impossible Mission That Changed the War in the Pacific by Bob Drury. This one had a lot of similarities to Rogue Heroes. It centered around this Captain Jay Zemer, who had a bomber crew on a B-17, who were kind of like the SAS, and that they were doing their own thing, kind of marching to the beat of their own drum, kind of doing stuff that no one else was doing. And what he and his unit did, well, he basically handpicked a crew of misfits, people that nobody wanted, people that were rogues and they called themselves pirates and they just kind of did what they want. They found an old, broken down B-17 that wasn't being used. It was basically being scavenged for parts. They fixed it up by literally stealing parts from other aircraft. Mm-hmm. They had to have someone, yeah, they had to have someone sleep in the aircraft so that people wouldn't come and take their stuff back, like <laughs> catching a theme. what is going on It's, it's just it boggles my mind, and they started taking whatever missions people didn't want because <laughs> they just love flying, and a lot of these focused in and around reconnaissance flights, and being an Intel guy, I'm a little particular to reconnaissance, and so that was a lot of fun for me, yeah. and I had no idea B17s were in the Pacific Theater. I thought they were only in Europe. So that was really interesting. Well, yeah, turns out Captain Zimmer and his crew ended up flying an extremely critical recon flight against a high-priority Japanese target. And the recon they provided ended up turning the tide of the Pacific War. And in the process, he got a lot of his crew killed. He flew the longest uh, sortie. Okay. like They called it the longest fighter sortie because he engaged with and shot down fighter aircraft. Because he had like totally stripped this B-17 out and like totally done amazing stuff to it. Anyway, it's really, really fascinating. (laughs) Awesome. And the thoughts for both of these books for me really centered around two ideas. First off, how the conditions of war create these incredible incubators for opportunities for change. I just don't know how you could conceivably allow David Sterling to just take a bunch of infantry troops and push them out of an airplane when they weren't really good at parachuting and kill a couple of them and let the guy keep doing it. Yeah. Unless you were losing so many men already in operations that you're like, well, I mean, it wasn't as bad as this guy. So I guess we'll just, you know, and then, you know, talk about Captain Ziemer and his B-17. I mean, I guess they weren't killing Americans. They're just stealing their stuff. You know, like I'm trying to, it's so hard for me to put myself in their context where stealing things and doing missions that are just totally crazy ends up being acceptable unless the consequences and the costs are so high.
1: Yeah, well, it makes me think like, you know, you hear the phrase every so often, like all is fair in love and war, right? Mm -hmm. And also like, Necessity is the mother of, of invention. Yeah. These are the two things I'm thinking as you're describing these situations. Yeah.
0: And those are the two ideas that I thought were very fascinating. Is with respect to this idea that war created this environment for this incredible amount of change, amazing things that have truly redefined not only the future of the war in the Pacific, but how we have fought future wars. Right. Special forces, everyone has special forces. Why? Because they're effective. Yeah. Why are they effective? Because David Sterling had an idea and figured it out. Like one dude made that happen. Yeah. So that was one aspect. The other aspect of these that I found so fascinating is in the context of General Brown's accelerate change or lose. And I'm wondering how or if it's even possible to create those conditions where change can happen as fast as it needs to. Yeah. Without the costs so present in our minds that war present,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and thinking about my leadership style, am I part of the problem, right, or am I part of the change that needs to occur? And I don't have answers to these questions, but as I'm reading through, these are the things I'm thinking about, and I'm highlighting sections, not in my buddy's books, but like, you know, in my mind, (laughs) mentally, like, wow, that's a really interesting point. I wonder how that could happen today. And, you know, I think about it. I work in an office building Mm -hmm. and most of my mission is enabled by computers, not in like the cyber hacking sense, but I can't have people doing work without workstations, as an example. Right. I wonder what would happen if I was so convinced that a specific mission set needed to happen. If I would have the onions to walk around to different (laughs) units and be like, hey man, I know what you're doing is like actually what you're legally supposed to be doing, but I really think this other thing's way more important. And they're like, yeah, I agree. And I'm like, okay, so I got this room. Wasn't doing anything. It's gonna be our room. You wanna show up there? Cool, now we got like seven people. And then I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna ask, but we need some computers. So whatever you all can do to make that happen, cool. (laughs) And then I show back up and we've got computers. You're like, how would that happen today? I would be in jail before lunch. (laughs) So how can we create the conditions where that is not a career-ending and federal prison-terminating experience without the cost of life and limb that war creates? And that's something I don't have an answer to.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're really hitting on something here that I can see how in a wartime environment where missiles are actually flying you know, bases are being attacked. People are dying. You could do that without repercussion. You wouldn't go to jail in that kind of situation. But in the peacetime environment, ain't nobody gonna stand for that. You no, know, yeah. One, the guy that you go and talk to in the first place, you can be like, that's not my job. Yeah, I'm a contractor for the U.S. government. I'm paid to do this one thing, and I'm going to do that one thing. Hmm. Hmm. Right. Yeah. You are asking such important questions here, like. It really does get back to what General Brown is is asking the Air Force to do, is to accelerate the change in a, quote, peacetime environment. And I say, quote, because, you know, we're at war right now, but Mm -hmm. it's just not declared, right? Yeah. We need to accelerate the change or we are going to lose well before we can even really start to do these innovations that the wartime environment allows. Yeah. And to give credit where credit is due there are efforts across the Air Force and across the
0: DOD to allow for this type of environment, right? So you've got AFWorks. Sure. You've got, I mean, there's a number of them that the names escape me at this moment, but you know what I'm talking about? These
1: big institutional programs that are trying to promote Mm -hmm. innovation. But David Sterling, Jay Zemer, were not part of big institutional
0: programs. Yeah. If anything, they were practically failures in the big institutional programs. Jay Zemer was a, mediocre pilot at best. He got kicked out of the B-17 program because he couldn't land it well. (laughs) So they moved him to something else, but he liked the B-17. So he's like, whatever, I'm just going to literally steal my own, you know? Like, so (laughs) yeah. How do we create those conditions? And I know people are trying. I know they are. I don't have answers, but I just, I want to see that. I almost want it to happen. I want to show up one day and be like, Hey, where are all these people? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And then we find them and they're like solving the world's problems. Like I would be so excited about that. <laughs> but I would, you know, but how do you make that happen? I don't know.
1: Anyway. Yeah. And also though, Reed, I don't think that the generals and the colonels that were you know overseeing Jay Zemer and Dave Stern, I don't think they knew how to create that environment. I don't think that they were doing it on purpose. Yeah, I agree. But to your point, you are trying to do it on purpose. Like what is the situation that allows that to happen. Yeah. Anyway,
0: so those are the two that, you know, really had a big impact on me and that I spent a lot of time on. And then the one I just finished, you know, to scratch my fiction, you know, itch, I read The Great Hunt. Uh, So it's the second book in the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. If you haven't read any of those, they are brilliant. The first one's a little slow, because it takes a lot to develop the characters. The second one was excellent. I've heard the third is even better. very excited about these. And so since I just finished a fiction book, I now need to find another professional reading book. So I'm in the market. I see you've got quite the list here. And I think that's a pretty good time to segue over to what you've been doing, Colin, because my, my, sir, you have been prolific.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know why that is, but yes, I have been on a bit of a spree Reading through a number of different books. I mean, I, I'm usually working my way through something and kind of like back to your tips before the content and the format are not the things that matter, and also having it part of my routine. So, the way that I like to approach it, I usually will have some sort of ebook that I'm working on, some sort of audiobook or podcast that I'm listening to, and then I also try to always have a physical book that I am also reading because you can't always have your phone with you, but you can have a physical book. You can't always have a physical book, but you can have a phone. And one of the other things is that I want my kids to see that I am reading a physical book because they're listening to podcasts all the time, too. They're listening to books all the time, too. But I want them to see that it's okay, even in this day and age to sit down on the couch and read a book. So I'm always working through like three different things at a time. But yes, the last couple of months, I have just been on a tear through a whole bunch of different things, books, podcasts, blogs, even getting deep into some Air Force policy and doctrine. It's been real riveting, but you know it's beneficial to my learning and my development as an Air Force officer. But I wanted to share here some of those books that I have finished over the last couple months, just to give you, read some suggestions as well as the audience, please don't think that this is a must-read list. No, that's not what this is. This is not like the chief of staff's reading list, that these are the most important books that you need to be working on right now. No, these are just the ones that I happen to have made my way through, and in no particular order. There's A Minute to Think by Juliet Funt. We've talked about that one recently. Mm-hmm. The Mission, The Men, and Me. By Peep Labor. You recommended that one to me. yes Fantastic book. Really enjoyed that. Scale by Jeffrey West. That one I stumbled upon. Really enjoyed it. It's completely outside of the military professional development kind of genre, but still really fantastic book. Masters of Scale by Reed Hoffman, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankel. Everybody needs to read that one. Okay, so I said that this isn't a list that of everything that you need to be reading right now. I changed that for this one. Everybody needs to read that book. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It is phenomenal. You End Up Where You're Heading by Jimmy Rex, Building the Elite by Jonathan Pope and Craig Weller, The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan, The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker, and Radical Candor by Kim Scott. All of these books I felt were very much worth my time. And no, I haven't finished every book that I've ever started because I appreciate your advice there, read. If it's not doing it for me, I'll stop and move on to something else. Maybe I'll come back to that book and finish it another time, but I don't let myself get bogged down into something that is not working for me. So these books, I did feel were worth my time, and I think that they deserve your attention as well. Not immediately, but at some point, give them a try. And one of the really important things about each of these different books is I've tried to take something out of every single one of them and do Something with it, find the application for it. And I want to give some examples that maybe even are going to be felt directly by members of our audience. For example, A Minute to Think and The Mission and the Me both talk about the importance of creating space for you to digest all of the information that you have gathered or consumed. We take in so much content every single day through these books, through podcasts, through just existing. And we need to take the time to sift through that. And especially if we're working on a specific topic, like a great example would be you, read. You've read two books now that talk about innovation and what are the circumstances wherein innovation in the military can take place. It's really important that you take the time to digest that information and, and draw some conclusions. And it was these two books that led to the shift in the schedule of how often we publish episodes for the podcast, you know, before September of this year, we had been doing a new episode every single week. We did that for two years, Reed. Mm -hmm. But because of these two books and feeling the importance of creating that white space in our schedules and the opportunity to digest information a little bit better, we felt it was important to move to an every other week schedule for publishing new content. And with that, also putting out a thought-provoking discussion you know, to our social media pages and to YouTube. And I don't know, Reid, do you feel like that has been effective? Has that been useful to us in creating that space? What are your thoughts? It has been for me. I certainly have read more
0: quickly than I normally do, or at least I have for the last few years, because I've had more space. And also I find that the stuff I'm doing at work Requires a lot more mental space. Mm-hmm. And so, even the idea of slowing down a minute, it's funny. This sounds really bad, but I listen to our podcast when it comes out, right? I put it on the way home or whatever. Why does that sound funny? I don't know. It seems really vain, I guess, but that's <laughs> anyway. So, I listen to our podcast. Well, just because. How dare you reread your I, journal read. I know, right? So, <laughs> but because it is not on every week, I find myself on Wednesdays most often. When it doesn't pop up in my feed, not listening to something on the way home from work that day, mm-hmm. and just having 10 minutes, 15 minutes of just unstructured thought, which I find very important because I come up with ideas. I remember something or I'll have a solution pop up that I hadn't thought of yet to a problem I'm trying to solve. So I have definitely benefited from it.
1: Yeah. Or even, not that you need to do this, but listening to the same episode again in doubling down on some of the things that you heard the first time you listened to it or drawing new conclusions. And it's like, why do you read a book multiple times? But most people don't listen to an episode of a podcast multiple times. But now you have the opportunity to do that. And maybe that is actually what's happening because one of the interesting things about shifting the publishing schedule is that we expected the listens, the downloads to go down But that hasn't been the case, has it, Reed? I still can't explain it. They've actually gone up. Which doesn't make sense. But we're grateful. It's
0: fantastic. It's wonderful. And confusing. (laughs) There's half as much content I would expect the numbers to drop proportionally. Right. I did. I thought it would be maybe the same number of downloads one week, little to none the next. Same number of downloads when an episode pops, little to none. And that's not been happening, which is...
1: Fantastic and rewarding and confirming all at the same time. To be fair, some of those downloads are from the discussions that I put out there, right? But those would only just replace what we had previously. But the numbers are actually more than that. Like it's another 10% on top of what it was previously. So again, we don't know exactly the mechanism, but it seems that Juliet Funt and Pete Blaber were onto something when they said, create space for you to think about what you're doing. And so there's the invitation to you all again, read those books, but more importantly, create space in your schedule for you to think about the things that you're learning. So next up then, the three books that I want to share here, Scale, The E-Myth Revisited, and Building the Elite, are all books about complex systems, albeit they're from very different perspectives. Scale is Mostly about biology and geography and things of the natural world. The E Myth Revisited is about the creation of a business, how to make your business work for you instead of you for your business. And then Building the Elite is about how to create special forces operators. But every single one of them comes at it from the perspective of complex systems and trying to understand the critical components of that system in order to be more effective with them. And so as I've finished these books and I've been looking at my world around me, I've been trying to identify what are the complex systems that I interact with most frequently. And can I identify those critical components? Can I document the complex system and then try to make the system work for me? Can I make it more simple? Can I make it more efficient? And the perfect example of that is the podcast itself. This is a complex system. Putting together episodes, aligning schedules with an interview, setting Steve up for the post-production, getting it published. That's a complex system. It's not hard, but it's complex. And I know that as I document this system that we've been going through over two years now, I will find ways to make it more simple and to work for me instead of me for the podcast. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And now I have questions and I want to talk about it, but that's not
0: what we're doing here today. We'll have to catch up and do that another time.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. I'll be happy to share you know, what that ends up looking like with the audience, but the bottom line here is look at the world around you and can you see the systems that are working for and against you? And can you find a way to make them better? Can you innovate? like? Dave Sterling and Jay Zemer, right? Yeah. Okay, and then broadly speaking, all of these books, what really sticks out to me is the importance of understanding your own mind, as well as the minds of others, and most especially the interactions, the relationships that we have between us. And I feel like this is especially critical as we look to those future conflicts that General Brown has been warning us about in the context of Accelerate, Change, or Lose, and the potential war that may happen with near-peer rivals. Because in those situations, we can expect that our war-fighting capabilities are gonna be so similar, and the advancement of information technology and communications will make it such that it's the social and the human domains wherein the battle is actually gonna take place. Yes, there may still be missiles flying, aircraft in the air, armies on the ground, navies in the sea, But for the most part, it's going to be a battle for the hearts and minds of the people. I mean, we were trying to do that in Iraq and Afghanistan during the global war on terror. Like we were trying to win the hearts and minds of the people in those countries. But really what we're going to be doing in these future wars is trying to protect the hearts and minds of the American people and winning the hearts and minds of our rivals. We already see this actually happening right now. You and I keep talking about how there's not a declared war, but we're actually at war with these different countries right now. Or at least there are actions that are very warlike in that, you know, Russia may be meddling in our elections. China may be using TikTok to try to promote non-Western values among our youth. I mean, those are things that are happening right now, but in the future, that's exactly how wars are going to be prosecuted. And so, That's what I'm seeing as I'm reading all of these books, most of them not at all about war, but shows the importance of us understanding each other, understanding ourselves, and being prepared to fight in the human domain. Yeah. I've heard it said before, the best led services
0: will win the next war. Yeah. And, you know, this made me think of another book that I've read. It's been a few months now. I think we've talked about it before. Simon Sinek's Infinite Game. So good, right? It's the people who decide to stay in the game that win. That's the winning is staying in, yep. not stopping. So yeah, all good stuff. And Colin, I appreciate you running that down for us. And I think one of the most important parts you did is you demonstrated the things that you are employing from this gained knowledge and how it's impacting your profession, your personal life. And that transitions to, I think, where we kind of want to end up today. Sure, Which is the so what. So we talked about some books we've read. Cool, we're not just talking heads, you know, that took a break so the podcast doesn't come out every week now. No, this is us, like you said, putting our money where our mouth is and demonstrating this is how this can be done. And I think you did a really good job of finding the application in the things you're reading and applying it and then sharing that knowledge with us. What are some other things that are the so what of this episode?
1: Well, I mean, if you take a look at my list, and it's not exhaustive, there are other podcasts that I'm listening to, blogs that I'm reading, where my tastes are all over the place. And you demonstrated it too by reading The Great Hunt. Like, it doesn't matter what you read, but read something, consume something, anything. Start where you are and read something, please. That's what we are asking here. Yeah.
0: Totally agree. And when you do, we would love to hear from you. If you want to come on our social media platforms, you want to email us, be like, hey, I read this amazing book. You know, I found this content extremely helpful. This is how it's benefited me. We would love to hear that. And, you know, when we share messages, I know I shared about Rogue Heroes on Instagram when I finished that book, how impactful that was to me. If you've got other ideas, we'd love to hear them. And we love hearing from you. Share the knowledge that you're gaining with those around you and find a way to apply it in your life. And that's how we're gonna grow. Because unfortunately, as we've discussed before, leaders don't always do the best job of providing feedback and of professionally developing their people. You have to take some ownership in this. And we are trying to demonstrate how that can work and what that looks like.
1: Yeah. So thank you for tuning in today. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, to consume. Now go contemplate, go read something else. Go digest the information and find a way to apply it. Share it with others. And just as you said, read. share it with us. Send it our way. Help us continue to learn too. Really appreciate you being here, Reed. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you, audience, for being here as well. Anything else you want to share, Reed? No, I think that'll do it. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Commissioned.
0: Ed.